You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Welcome to our last Sunday morning gathering of the year. It was wild and woolly, and you are still standing. Congratulations. We're sitting. Okay. But you know, at the beginning of the year, everybody thinks, even, by, even into October, you're thinking, I'm going to finish strong, right? And then by today, you're just like, I just want to finish. I just want to tear the calendar off, and I just want to finish. As you grow weary, it feels a little bit like you adjust expectations and demands even of yourself. I told somebody this week, you know, at points in my life, I've had these grandiose plans. Right now, I just want to feel like at the end of my life, if they make a podcast about me, that nobody's interested in listening. Like, that's my goal. Everybody's like, well, that was kind of boring. He just kind of took care of his wife and kids, and that's how he lived life. Like, I'm good with that. Tomorrow's January 1st, and even though it's kind of an arbitrary spot on the orbit around the sun, it could be anywhere, but it's not. It is here. And so because we are here, we look back and we look forward. And this point might not be like any other point, or it might be like all the other points, but it helps us break up time and measure the wins and the losses in life. Now, a lot of times, at the end of the year, I preach a message, I've done this a number of times, called my my biggest mistakes of the year. And uh, unfortunately, people began to think it was like a group participation exercise, started shouting out suggestions. And so we had to quit doing that. But today, I just want to measure where we are, what time means, and how we look forward. This time of year, many of us make resolutions. Resolutions are funny things. They're promises that we make to ourselves that we could have made weeks ago, but we didn't. And so we decide to make them now. Forbes magazine says that 62% of people feel pressured to make some sort of New Year's resolution. I don't know who they feel pressured by, but they feel pressured that this is the day, the time to do that. This is an interesting kind of pair of statistics to me. 80% of people feel confident in their ability to reach their goals. 80% of people make a resolution and they think, I can do this. And only 20% of people actually think that they will. And that 20% is down from 77% last year. What happened last year? It knocked the confidence out of us. 80% think they can, 20% they will. We're quitting in advance. What drives us to set goals or even look at the turn of the year as anything special regarding our own behavior? I think it's our inward understanding that time has value and we have spent some. It's gone. There are two things universally valued by cultures around the world, all right? Everywhere around the world. First one is some form of money. Every culture has some sort of money. Money will fight for your attention to the point of distracting you from God. Jesus himself issued a warning. Matthew 6, 24, it says, you can't love both God and money. Why did he have to say something so obvious? Because most of us would try. Jesus knew we would have this affection for money, and if not money, then the things they would buy, so that even if we had a little or we had a lot, it would be an ongoing struggle in our heart. Money or objects that you would buy with money will fight for your attention. Now, when you think of people serving money, what most of us picture is 
you know, Uncle Scrooge sitting in his vault with his coins that he's just playing with, and we think, well, that's not us because we don't have a vault and we don't have the gold coins and we're not a duck not wearing pants, okay? So we don't relate to him when we say that is so different than us. But we get it wrong. Money and riches struggle for our attention and they're valued by everyone even if we're only going to pay the electric bill. Money is not the only universal thing that we value, though. The other thing universally valued in all cultures is the idea of time. And time is more elusive and unpredictable than money. Money's moved around, and even if you run out, you can look back and you know where it went, right? Have you gone to the end of the month and you're like, dun, 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 dun. okay, we're out. Where'd it go? Well, I know I'm not happy with where it went, but I know where it went. But you get to the end of the year and you go, where'd the time go? Because I really don't know where the time went. Time just disappears. And sometimes it's not even clear what happened or what happened when we were living it. I'm still interpreting events from my life five years ago. And some of you are too. The writer of Proverbs, generally this is attributed to David's son Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, spoke about this idea of time in chapter 27, 1. said, don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day brings. If we went back to January 1, 2023, we would say, do not boast about this year. You do not know what it brings. And it comes one day at a time. 2024, just as volatile, I promise. We'll get to the end of 2024 and we will laugh at ourselves thinking we thought it was going to settle down. By what standard, other than hopeful stupidity, would we think life is going to get simpler or easier? Has it ever The Bible talks about these two things, time and money, and warns us about how we hold them in relation to our heart. And even though the danger is great on both sides, the danger is different between time and money because money can be multiplied, or so I have been told. You can run out of money and go get more money. Nobody gets more time once they run out of time. That's a whole different thing. No one really has a great plan for multiplying their days. Summer of 1986, I shared an apartment. It was after my freshman year of college, shared an apartment with a high school friend. We had both gone our separate ways to colleges, came back, shared an apartment that summer. And uh, our lives had taken very different tracks. I had gone to Bible college. He had gone to another school. And uh, he, he, he had a problem in developing his life. He had become an addict. Um, I mean, it wasn't drugs, it was a soap opera. Literally. The days of our lives. Somehow, my friend had gotten hooked on this, and, and I had seen a little bit of it before, enough to know it's dangerous. And I, but he, every, and I still remember the theme song, the dramatic music, and the, uh, um, oh, what's the thing called? The, the hourglass. Some of you have seen it. Okay. <laughs> Some of you are a little eager on that. It's hourglass. You're so excited. You didn't know a verse yet, but hourglass. And the voiceover, like sands through the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. You all had roommates hooked too. I see, I see. Nobody has ever figured out how to get sand back up the hourglass. Just doesn't work. 
doesn't go. You can lose money and you can make money, but nobody gets that deal with time. It is a limited commodity, and here we are. Let me give you four ways that a believer needs to think about time. Four ways that a believer needs to think about time. Because we need to think about time as differently than the world as we think about money. Everybody's big on, well, we have to approach money differently than, than the heathen. We have to think about time different than the heathen. Number one, time is a spiritual construct. For all the, time, the talk about time being a master or time of being of the essence or time is money uh, or all the ways we talk about it, it is of spiritual origin. It was created by God in the physical world for spiritual use. You're like, really? It's, it's like math. Oh, it's better than math. It's more profound than math. Last week, we celebrated Zion and Shana getting engaged. And yeah, if you missed that. It, and, uh, and so we gathered for a little party, and we, we had a Jackson, Zion's oldest brother, offered a toast, and then James, her brother, offered a toast. Now, James, uh, Zion, Jackson is 30, James is 12. But when either one of them start to speak, I lean in, because they both, at various levels, are hysterical. Jackson behaved himself, offered a very, very nice toast. James, at 12, lifts his glass of juice and starts out, before time had a name. I don't know what he said after that. He could have read the phone book. Nobody would have cared. What an epic beginning to, before time had a name, at 12 years old. And it was off the top of his head. He was meaning to be funny, but like being funny, like a lot of things that are funny, it was very profound and theologically correct because God created time. There was a time when time, if you will, did not have a name. And I understand the grammatical problems with that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he had to phrase it that way, so we had containers to put it in. He had no use for those phrases. In the original origin story, at the beginning of what would become known as time, before time had a name, God went to work creating a world. And pay attention to what God says about time. He creates the earth and the sun, crocodiles, aardvarks, all these things, but he also creates time. Look at the order of this. Genesis 1, 3-5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the day light, light day, and darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. If there is a first day, you know there are more days. So by the fourth day, he creates a little more in relation to time. Why did he even bother with light and darkness and some kind of cycle? We will not forever need a cycle of time or a cycle of day and night. Revelation 22.5 says there will, that night will be no more. There will be no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and he will reign forever and ever. So if that's where it's going at the beginning, why did he say... Yeah, we got to do a little different here from the start. We're going to need night. We're going to need day. 
We're in this temporary situation of life where he gives us night and day to measure time. Go back to the original origin story. It's possible for God to commune with us in eternal day. So if that is true, why do we have things like winter solstice and daylight savings time and other abominations? Like, why do we have this rhythm? On the fourth day of creation, he tips his hand a little bit. First day, light was created. Second day, the sky was created. Third day, dry land, seas, plants, and trees were created. All things that could have existed under everlasting light. He's got the makings of a real biosphere here. But nothing he's created has a real need for night. But he knows where this is going, because on the fifth day, he's going to create fish and birds and mammals. And it's just going to go on and on and on in humanity. So before he goes any further, he reaches back to the first day with the creation of time, and he downloads an expansion pack. And he makes it different. Genesis 1, 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So in moving from simple time and then to planets and stars, he gives us a mechanism by which to measure the turning of the earth and the passage of time. Every culture that we know of today measures time this way. We know from before there was a time from the moment we said we're going to divide things up so we can see God's hand at work, that even from the beginning of that, Jesus existed. John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. So from that very start, they're all there, and they say we have to somehow design a way for people to... It's a spiritual construct for us. Even now, we look back at certain seasons or years and we remember what happened in that season because of how he created time. He gave us a way to mark the process of events. He said, I will give you containers to put your life in that will be helpful. We've had some crazy containers recently, haven't we? Look at it this way. Show this, this next slide, okay? Think about this for a minute. I wouldn't take the lid off some of those jars to save my life. I mean, there's stuff in there, isn't there? 2020? It's a pandemic? Some of you just twitched when I said it. And we thought it was all going to fit in that jar. It didn't. I've got a lot in that jar. I was thinking about that this week. What's in your 2020 jar? I, I remember 2020 was the year I realized I had fewer friends than I thought, but I had better friends than I thought. There's all kinds of things in that jar. And 2021 came along. We thought that was over. We were wrong. It was a hard year for many of us. It was late in the year until I got my head together. Becky read that psalm this morning. That psalm had a, there was a number of scriptures were read this morning. Were so tied into my personal journey. That psalm pulled me through into the next container. 2022 comes along. We think, well, that's over, and now we've got supply chain issues, and we can't buy anything because it's in a boat somewhere. Remember, I remember somebody leaving church and going from place to place trying to buy formula for their baby. 2023 comes along, just when we think we're going to sneak through a year with nothing dramatic happening. 2023 slides off the end of the runway with all the engines on fire and the tires flat. Many of us are going... God, what are you doing in this container? 
Or what have you begun in this container? Through the gift of time that God created, seasons are marked out and remembered and we're able to weigh them and even appreciate them. When I look back at 2020 now, I remember more good than I remember bad while I was in the container. God puts beautiful things in every container. The writer of Ecclesiastes, not directly named, but uh, we're quite confident as well, um, he's referred to in chapter one as Kohila, as the convener or the collector or the preacher. If you read the text, it refers to him as the preacher a number of times. He's also called the son of David in Jerusalem. So we have a fair amount of confidence we're talking about Solomon here. And in the early verses of chapter 1, he speaks about almost every major event that will go in those containers during the course of your life, whether you have 20 containers or you have 70 or you have 100. He talks about childbirth, death, planting, uprooting, killing, healing, tearing down, building up, weeping, laughing, dancing, scattering, gathering. It's like a who's who of what's what in your life. And by verse 8, he works himself all the way up to tearing and the mending and war and peace. And even as our hearts are reading this and we're warmed, feeling like, okay, maybe we're known by this God of all eternity, he gets to Ecclesiastes 3.11 and he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time in its container, in its jar. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. Some of you are still thinking about 2020. That container that began with a pandemic and ended with more pandemic. And that thing that we thought would be over in a few weeks that dragged on into the next container, yet you look back and even in the pain there, you realize there, was, there were joy and there were good things in there. Life shifted, and some of you spent more time with your kids than you had ever spent in your life. Some of you were forced into a career change that has actually turned out to be a good thing. Many of us, in the middle of all that, started connecting online. If you're visiting with us, this is not what we thought was going to happen. This was originally a prayer meeting trying to figure out if the Bolanders leave town. Pandemic happened. Nobody left town. And a year later, we're going, I guess there's an us, and here we are. Let me give you a little advice on these containers. Don't write them off. When you seal it up and you put it on a shelf, you're still not sure what God is doing in that container. And he makes beautiful things out of hard things. Maybe you don't open it up too early to look, but trust me, God is using those things to shape who you are becoming. When we used to do events for Lou Engle, 2006, 2007, 2008, we, we did a bunch of them ac across the nation, and we would take worship leaders with us, and we used to take Corey Asbury with us before Corey Asbury was Corey Asbury. I mean, he, now he's Corey Asbury. He was just Corey Asbury. And uh, we used to take him with us, and he has, he has since, uh, he's got a lyric that just, first time I heard it, I just had tears in my eyes. He says, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. Some of you are at a point in your story, you're like, this is not good. The best thing about your story is it is not over. The time goes back, but it goes forward. And he's still writing. So time is a spiritual construct. And God puts beauty in each container. The third thing that a believer has to think about time is the fact that time is a tool in God's hand. 
we all think time is just something to be endured. Like we just, you know, when you were a little kid, you wonder, when am I ever going to grow up? You know, it's just, and you live life like that. When is this ever going to get over? Time is something to be endured. It is not, it is a, it is a tool that God actually uses, one of the primary tools he uses in your life. This challenges how we think about time because we think of it as something that happens to us. We think of a time like, you know, going to the beach. Have you ever gone to the beach and just thought a little bit about what, could we ever stop these waves? Is there anything we could build to ever stop this? Been watching the surf in California this week? Short answer, no, you cannot stop it. A bunch of people standing on a wall and they realize this, you know, it's coming at them. They run for their lives. It, like nothing, it just comes and comes. Some of us look at time like that even during the week. We just brace ourselves and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, it's like one after the other. And every day that you keep standing, you feel it's like a win. God looks at that. He's like, actually, this is something I'm using in your life. Really? Well, it's beating the ever-living snot out of me. And it's working. We know this because regularly in Scripture, he lays out a promise or a plan for people, and he tells them about it. And it doesn't happen right away. Like, it doesn't happen for a while. He builds this plan on his little workbench. Allow me to take a little theological, like, uh, exemption here. Uh, but he, he builds this plan, and it's like he shows it to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they say, oh, it looks good to us. And they said, is it finished? He said, not quite yet. What's it take to be finished? Time. It's done, but it needs time. We see this over and over, but nowhere do we see it as clearly as Isaiah 40 Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Think about that a minute. The battle you're fighting right now, one day this will be true. Your warfare will be ended. And her iniquity is pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double from all of her sins. Well, that sounds pretty good. Well, you're looking at the workbench where he's built there like, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take it as is. Comfort? The end of my warfare? That's, who would not want this? Except that literally moments before, at the close of Isaiah 39, he says something very different. Isaiah 39, 6 says, Behold, days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. He says that, and then he tells them this about Isaiah 40, but there's no time gap between those two. So they hear Isaiah 40 before Isaiah 39 has happened to them. The only thing it takes to get to Isaiah 40, 70 years captivity. That's all. Just time. Isaiah 40 is real, but there's a gap there between the promise and the realization. His plan is finished all he needed to do was apply some time to Isaiah 39 hearts to get them to an Isaiah 40 reality. When there is a tension between what you're promised and what you are experiencing, resist the temptation to dumb down the promise and understand that God is using time in your life to make you able to receive the fullness of the promise he has for you. It might be, you may be dreaming about things right now. Some of you have a heart full of, like your desire is a fulfilling, rich marriage. 
and you look around and you go, this ain't it, chief. We're not there yet. What's the missing element? Time. Time and submission to him. You may be holding promises of children serving the Lord, and it causes you great pain in your heart. But those promises are real, and the Lord is applying time to get to those. Don't give up before the time's done. It might be healing you're looking for. It might be restoration of relationships. It might be a dream God put in your heart. How do you mesh that gap of, this is what I've got, but this is what I've promised? Interpret your past in light of your future, not your future in light of your past. Think about this just for a second. Interpret your past in light of what you've been promised, not dumbing down the promise because of where you are right now. All you really need is faithfulness over time. It is his, one of his primary tools in getting you to where you need to be. Some of you look back of where you were 20 years ago, and you wouldn't go back to that person for anything, right? You're like, no, I would not do that. I would not want to be the 20-year-old that I, I just want to do that again. What changed? Actually, not much. You're saying the same, it's just time has been applied. Rubbed off some of the, the edges, matured you a little bit. The primary th- tool in his hand is time. Don't let the past or the present place limits on what God will do in your life with time. That's not pie-in-the-sky prosperity. That's just endurance preaching. Endure, because over time, you are made into the fullness of what he has promised for you. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. The idea of suffering is inherently including a time element. We rejoice in our sufferings over time, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. How did we get to that? We endured over time. If you can't figure out what God is doing, take solace in the fact that you are living in the missing element that will perfect you into his plan. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Each day, you're a little closer to the fullness of that promise. Some of you are going, I just don't see what he's doing. I was promised Isaiah 40, and I'm stuck in Isaiah 39.5. Like, I just can't get there. You may not know what he's doing. He does. Romans 11.34 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Like, who among us has known what God is doing for most of the time in our lives? Or who has been his counselor? He's not calling you for the helpline. Okay? Doesn't need to phone a friend. If he did, it wouldn't be you or me. But he is fully in control and he is applying the tool of time to your life. And if you look back over your life, it's worked better than you thought it would. Working in adoption, we see a lot of babies born, obviously. And we have learned the value of time in maturing. There are a few elements to, to adoption. Of course, there's a, an expectant mother and, and, a, and a birth father, and there's an adoptive family, and there's a baby, there's a social worker, and there is a stack of paperwork that would choke a horse. It's huge. More than once, people have found out we've had 10 kids, they don't know the whole story, they go, don't you know what causes that? I always say, yes, paperwork. <laughs> a lot of paperwork. 
We've learned that working with adoptive families, we can give them the paperwork right away. Race through it. Come on, come on, come on. Get it all done. However, working with expectant mothers, particularly if they come to us early in the, in the process, we don't necessarily force them to make all the decisions early. They fill out some papers at the beginning, but some, the heavier decisions, the idea of what kind of family am I looking for, we wait. Why? Nine months is a long time. And the young woman who comes to you six weeks pregnant is not the woman who is nine months fully mature, ready to, to give. So we, we, let, we wait on her. Why? Not, I mean, she's, is she pregnant in the beginning? Yeah, she's pregnant at the end. However, time has changed things. Time is the only thing that will get you from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40. That's it. That's the piece. Transition, that gap, it's hard. Transition from good to good is hard when you chose it. Transition from good to I don't know what's next is painful. Transition from bad to I don't know what's next is painful. Two years ago, we were with a small group of pastors and uh, Bishop Joseph Garlington was preaching. If you don't know Bishop Joseph Garlington, he's phenomenal. Elderly, late 80s. We had dinner with him. Just, it was, just wanted to listen to him talk. And he told us then, he goes, when God closes one door, he opens another door, but it's hell in the hallway. Because it's terrible in between those two doors. In between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40, it's, it's tough. If that's you, if you're in the hallway right now, or you get the sense you're about to be in the hallway, I implore you, let your heart rest and know that the Lord is using this season of time. All you can do is be faithful to what he's called you to do in the moment. Skipping forward here a little bit, fourth reason, the fourth thing you need to think about the time is that time is not just a tool in God's hand, it is a tool in your hands. God gives us these containers, 2020, 2021, 2022, and on. 70-plus for most people, fewer for some, more for others. And along with rearranging the pain in those containers to make the beautiful things out of them, he allows us the dignity of put, putting some things in those containers. And God uses time to help finish us for our future, but he allows us to have time as a tool to also make ourselves ready. You ever looked at somebody doing something challenging and think, that person was not ready to do that? They bit that off a little too quick. One thing we like to do as a family, we've done a couple of times, we go to Colorado, and we will ride the Aspen bike trail from the top of the pass down to Dillon, I think it is. And we ride that direction because it's 17 miles downhill. Okay? You can literally get on the top and you don't have to pedal. You can go all the way to the bottom, 17 miles. Then you can drop later in a conversation. Yeah, I rode 17 miles today. They don't have to know it was all downhill. <laughs> but periodically, you will meet people going, I was going to say the wrong direction, the opposite direction, but it's, it's the wrong direction. You know, and some of them look like hardcore Coloradans with like 0.0005% body fat. These no, they're not even human. I don't know where they keep the chubby people in Colorado, but there are none. You meet these people, but then sometimes you meet another guy. And in his mind, he doesn't know what path he's on. He's thinking, I'm just going to ride up and see what's over this hill. 
doesn't realize the top of that hill is 17 miles away. He's not made himself ready. He could have used his time in a different way. He could have prepared for that. Don't let yourself get deep into 2024 and realizing, I was not very well prepared for all that is in this container. Because just like God uses time, he gives you time to use as well. 1 John 2, 17 says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's that mean? It means the sand is going through the hourglass and you only have so much time to learn how to be obedient. And as much as it sounds like a difficult time to be obedient now, it will only be harder later. Learn the lessons he's trying to teach you while you have the most sand that you can in the top of that bowl. It will pay off the greatest dividends. Let me encourage you, going into 2024, spend some time the next day or two asking the Lord to remind you of the areas where you have struggled with obedience. You're like, will he answer? Oh, yeah, he will. When you ask him, Lord, what, what are the things that you have told me to do, that he will, it will be amazing the things will come to your memory. He has a list. Maybe not a long list, but it's real. Commit in this container to commit as much of your own time towards obedience as you can. So you don't find yourself with God putting the lid on 2024 and there still being unfinished business that he'd invited you to do in 2023. Let me speak very practically to some of you. Some of you go, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, good, you won't be mad, okay? If you have resisted obedience to the Lord in the discipline of giving and generosity, commit, let me figure this out, Lord. I want to invest 2024 in following your example and your admonition and generosity. Are you talking about tithing? I'm talking, tithing is like a narrow sliver of what I'm talking about. You know, when Jesus talked about tithing, he didn't erase it. He actually said, I'm assuming you're doing that. Let's talk about generosity. He says, oh, the mint tithe, all that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing that. Let's talk about living generous lives. If you have wrestled with that in obedience, let me just encourage you, dive in. There is such blessing in obedience in using the time that God gives you for the way he... For others, it's to, it is to intentionally pursue relationships when it has been easier to just withdraw, okay? One of the real difficulties of going through 2020, 21 with you was with so much aloneness, those of us who are introverts were like, not bad. Stuck in my house, I'm good. You know, like it was easy for some of you to pull back from relationships and you haven't re-engaged. Invest in this year in other people. It will pay you dividends and it will allow you to function as a productive part of the body. So he has time as a tool to accomplish what we will become, but then he gives us time and says, what are you going to do with it? Because there are less grains of sand in the top bowl than there were a year ago. And a year from now, there will be even fewer. What will you wish you had started? I want to ask you to uh, stand with me. And I just want to take a minute 
and pray over folks, particularly who look back at some of those containers and there is significant pain in those. And when I say he makes everything beautiful in his time, you legitimately, I, I haven't seen it yet, and that's fair. But you're wrestling with pain from events maybe recently or maybe years back. The Lord wants to redeem that time. He was not wasting it. Holy Spirit, we place ourselves before you right now and we ask that you would draw near. That we would understand what you are doing in this day and what you have done in years past. As I named off those containers, some of you inwardly you twitched a little bit. There's some hurt there. Might have been a container we're still putting a lid on. But if we could pray with you right where you are. So there's a season of my life I do not understand what the Lord was doing. I look back and I would hit delete on that completely if I could. I don't know what God was doing. That's you. Just lift your hand right where you are. We want to pray for you. The season of life, it was just very hard. Right down here in the front. Back here. Right there in the middle. If you're standing near someone, lift your hands again. If you're standing near someone, we want to pray for them right now. Father, right now we pray that you would reveal your plan forward and backwards in our lives that we would understand the gift of time. You administer healing, Lord. You would make all things beautiful in your time. Holy Spirit, ask that you would heal hearts, remove pain. Show us what the takeaway was there, God. Father, we regret even wondering about your presence in that season, even if we didn't know what was happening. And we just confess with our mouths right now that you work in all seasons of our lives. Father, you work in the good. You work in the hard. And you move us forward from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40, and you do it through the gift of time. So we release right now, we release resentment for seasons of our lives that were exceptionally hard. We recognize your sovereignty over us and your innate goodness. Even if we don't know what situations we're about, Lord, we call you good. Holy Spirit, as we close out this year, we say that all you do is good and fruitful in our lives, and we thank you for this year, for the time, for the events. We thank you for the year to come, and we pray that we would steward.